0: This is Bigger Questions with your host, Robert Martin.
1: Welcome to Bigger Questions. Today's show is recorded live in Canberra at the Canberra Simeon Network annual dinner. The Simeon Network is a national network of Christians in academia. Today's Bigger Question, where can I find happiness? We're asking this question today to Reverend Dr. Andrew Cameron. Andrew is director of St. Mark's National Theological Centre in Canberra and associate professor at Charles Sturt University. His PhD was a theological account of the relationship of ethics to emotion and regularly writes on the intersection of theology, ethics and public life. And he joins me now. Please welcome Andrew Cameron.
0: you for having me, Robert. It's good to be here.
1: Well, Andrew, that's yeah. a very enthusiastic welcome here. It is, it that's is. Excellent. Now, you, yeah. your PhD was in emotion. Yeah. Is that because you're a, an emotional kind of guy? Well, I, I think
0: I am. I, I can't <laughs> so, work out if I'm any more or less than anybody else, but I think when I have my emotions, I feel pretty full on, so that's, okay. the, like, that's the nature of the beast, yeah. isn't yeah. it? So.
1: So, so what made you interested in emotions for a PhD topic to spend years of your life thinking about this?
0: Well, it was because at the time, and this has changed a bit now, but at the time, uh, there was this view around that ethics was not about, any, it had nothing to do with emotion, that it right. was all to do with just making r- rational decisions about right and wrong. And it just didn't seem right to me because people fight really, really hard about stuff in ethics. So that tells me that there's some pretty deep emotions
1: going on and I wanted to work out why. Right. Well, to kick off Bigger Questions, we, do, we like to ask a couple of smaller questions. We do try to have a bit of fun on the show. Today we're asking uh, uh, Andrew Cameron about finding happiness. So, Andrew, our smaller questions to you today are about happy songs. <laughs> now, do you feel qualified at all? Not hugely, but then again, <laughs> who is? Uh, well, we will find out, <laughs> perhaps. There's, there's two questions, both... Yeah multiple choice. Question one, in 1988 American jazz vocalist Bobby McFerrin released a hit song, Don't Worry Be Happy. It was a worldwide number one hit. In which one of the following countries did the song not get to number one? Was it A Australia, B Germany, C Norway, or D the United States? So which of those countries did the song not get to number one? I'm gonna go with Norway. And that's a good one to go with, because it's the right oh, answer. Right. Yeah. All right. So was there a, was there a reason you, was there a reason you went for Norway?
0: Because I think Germany was a trick question. Because <laughs> <laughs> everyone, cause everyone pa- was going to go with the Germans. Possibly, Germans, yeah. Uh, well, Germans, that's interesting. People don't understand. Germans love beer and kind of, you know, and, having,
1: and stuff and dancing. And, with and, having it, a, you and know. being happy. Yeah, yeah, they do. Yeah, that's yeah. I mean. Well, it is yeah. interesting, though, because Norway ranks higher than all of those countries in the global happiness index. There you go. So perhaps maybe that yeah. didn't resonate as much. Maybe they all but maybe they already are happy. That's kind of intriguing. Or really worried as well. <laughs> Perhaps, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Question two. Which of the following is not one of the lyrics from the 2013 hit song, Happy? Or is it A, because I'm happy, clap along if you feel like a room without a roof? Is it B, because I'm happy, clap along if you feel like happiness is the truth? Or is it C, can't nothing bring me down, happy, happy, happy? Or is it D, happy are those who mourn? It's a long shot for D, maybe. Yeah. Well, yeah. yes, yeah. that's, yeah, that's, right. that's yeah. right. Yes, that's yeah. right. Yeah. Because, I mean, you, you, uh, yeah, why not? Give him applause. That's right. yeah. <laughs> yeah. So that's obviously from yeah. the, the Bible. Yeah. Um, Jesus' Sermon on the Mount and the Good News uh, version of yeah. that, um, yeah. the Beatitudes there. Yeah. So, Andrew, well, be happy because you passed. You got two <laughs> of our two smaller Christians <laughs> right. Big round of applause. thank you. Thank you, thank you. Thank you. <laughs> So Andrew, that that verse there from the Bible, yeah. from what Jesus says, "Happy are those who mourn." Yeah. So is the Bible just too serious and mournful compared to our modern culture, with you know it has fun songs like "Happy." So is the Bible just too mournful in comparison? Look, you know, the, Jesus wouldn't have said it if it hadn't
0: have been a weird thing to say in its time. Mm-hmm. Like that's why it's remembered because of paradox. You know, this is this is uh, they had their ways of wanting to be happy just as much as we did, just as much as every human culture and a, a character said to me once a counsellor actually said to me once whole societies grow up around the avoidance of pain mm-hmm. so it isn't just you know this it's easy to chuck rocks at the bible because it says serious things it's easy to chuck rocks at any other culture when they're not happy in ways that we are but we have our ways of avoiding pain and um you know putting a mask on our sadness too you know there's there's a there's it, it's not as simple as just we're better than others mm, I think, mm. yeah,
1: yeah. or is our culture
0: more fun though Oh, definitely. I think in the sense that, you know, it's committed itself to being a culture where there's sort of fun wherever you can find it whenever you want it, you know, so in that sense, I think quantitatively, yes, you'd have to say this is a culture that's
1: kind of set itself up around fun being on tap, you know. Now your PhD, though, was in a theological approach to the emotions, so what did you discover? Did you discover that Christians are just too serious and killjoys?
0: Well, you know, actually I started, the original killjoy, in my view, was the German philosopher Immanuel Kant. Mm -hmm. Um, He was one of the villains in this for me because his take on ethics is if you do a good thing because you want to, because you like the feel of it, yeah. it don't count.
1: <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. So, so it's more virtuous to do something yeah. because you don't want to do it. Totally. Yeah.
0: Now you can kind of get where that's coming from because I mean there's self-interest and you can self-deceive and all of that kind of junk. But I didn't think it. F- it just didn't seem right to me that y- y- it had to feel kind of awful, <laughs> or right. feel like nothing to do something before right. it mattered. Yeah. <laughs> what caught my interest in what I knew of the Bible at the time was that. You know, on the one hand, they didn't just pursue happiness all the time. Sometimes they actually allowed stuff to happen in their worlds that, you know, felt like suffering. And mm-hmm. on other occasions, they'd really, really run after the, what they figured was the right thing to do and do it out of joy, you know, and that really mattered to them to to have, to have bring that, mm-hmm. you know, strong and powerful affection to whatever mm-hmm. you're doing that you reckon is right, you know, so...
1: So is that what you discovered? In yeah, your, that in was your part ref- of it, yeah. So ref-
0: part of it was then looking at what different Christian thinkers in the ages had made of this and a key key one was the um, theologian Augustine. He was from the 4th and 5th century. Mm -hmm. I thought this really profound. He says that human beings are are constituted by, you know, made up by uh, being, knowledge and love. In other words, you can't abstract yourself from the fact that you exist. You just are, like that's part of it. You can't abstract yourself from the fact you know stuff. Like this is what we do all the time. We're just soaking up our environment and all the time, and you can't not do that. And he says, he says the philosophers of his time were really big on being and knowledge, but nobody ever talked about the third one. You can't abstract yourself from the fact you love. You, you absolutely attach to things, whether you realise it or not. All the time, you're just invested in things, you're attracted to things, you're pursuing things, you're intrigued by things. You know, there's other things that you aren't interested in, whatever, but but this, this love of what goes on around us that's good and interesting is... Stitched into us. It's embedded into us. And he reckons that's what kind of drives our assessments of what matters and what's right and what's wrong.
1: So, thinking about your research then, Andrew, so did you think much about happiness, though? Not directly, to be honest. I think what I thought about was what
0: makes people really joyfully love some things, uh, and then, as a result of that, what makes them angry when those things are taken away and what makes them sad when things are taken away. So, for me, it, it's always seemed a bit odd it it's really flattens, I reckon, our experience of the world to just talk about happiness as the, the one and only because you can't have happiness without the... You can't have the light without the shade. You know, there's the flip side of happiness is sadness. The flip side of, of, of joy is despair. You know, there's, there's, there's this, there are these contours to our emotional life that, mm-hmm. um, you know, are actually really significant, you know. So a f- focus on happiness alone is going to actually cause you to miss a lot of what's happening in your world and in yourself.
1: Yeah, why is that? What makes
0: us happy are when the things that we love are just totally part of our world, you know? Mm -hmm. But in the nature of the case, those things go out of our world, so we're sad. You know, in the nature of the case, sometimes we don't have things that we long for. Mm. So that makes us, you know, sad or envious or, you know, jealous or, you know, so that the things that make us happy are also the things that indirectly make us have those other emotions, you know? So, mm, mm. so I think people aren't haven't often thought that through. So, what, you know? what exactly is happiness then? Yeah, this is a tough one, isn't it? I think it's uh, I think it's a kind of state that happens when you are connected well with with others, when you're connected well with your environment, when you're connected well with you know the work that you're doing in the world. When you and and I would think also actually connected well with God, which is not okay. something that's sort of obvious in our. In our culture, but you know, people will talk about being sort of at one with the universe, which is kind of important for people. It's as kind of close as people as close to it as people get. And I'd kind of like to jack that open a bit and ask what what they mean by that. But you know, there's a kind of recognition a bit more than it used to be that you've got to have something else going on. Mm-hmm. That, you know.
1: <laughs> now, a questions just come in from our live audience. The text line from our live audience here says, uh, "What would you say to my friend who says happiness is the most important thing?" in life, because the pursuit of happiness is kind of so pervasive in our culture. So what would you say?
0: I half want to agree with him, because th- there's a very ancient tradition actually in uh, ethics and philosophy called eudaimonism, which is kind of this, that that, that we're, built, we're built for happiness. Uh, and it does seem to account for so much of what we do in our world. We're often sort of avoiding pain and looking for things that make us feel good. And our, there's a kind of a crass way to go about that, and a really deep way to go about that. The crass way is just looking for pleasure all the time, mm-hmm. you know, um, and anyone can do that. Like that's easy enough, and it kind of works. Like that's the issue. That's that's the thing. It does kind of work if you, if you if you just catched up enough and just have enough opportunities, you can look for pleasure all the time and mm. probably succeed for a good chunk of your life. But uh, what the even in this is not even a. You know, Christian thought, even in this eudaimonist tradition, they'd argue about whether that suffices or not. You know, right. and 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 the more sort of deep thinkers in that tradition would say, well, no. You know, it's actually you've got to take a you've got to pan the camera back and not just look for pleasure. You've got to look for that whole set of ingredients in your life. Are your relationships good? Are you, is your, is your, you know, health good? Are you are you, are you connected well with your, with the patch of land that you're on? You, mm-hmm. Do you have do you have a hopeful future? You know, do you have have something that you're contributing to um we'd say the planet they'd say to the to the city you know so mm. so so the big argument is 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 we, we all kind of agree
1: that everyone longs for
0: for that state of being but how you get there is a big issue mm. I
1: so i mean because a lot of your research also involves thinking about ethics as well mm. um, and, the, and the theology and ethics so is the pursuit of happiness a way to live life well or is it too shallow perhaps
0: see i think it, i think you can only get happy indirectly and I'm not alone in this. I think th- I think those who are intrigued by, um, you know, f- feels like say positive psychology, which is sort of mm. interested in in happiness, and there's other sort of disciplines that are interested in this too. But a lot of people are of the view that if you go after happiness directly, it'll always elude you. You, mm. know, you might get pleasure straight off if you can. Yeah. Get there, but whether that actually makes you happy is another is anybody's guess. Yeah. So happiness is something that only sort of comes to you a little bit indirectly mm-hmm. <laughs> when you maybe almost when, when you pursue you, something else. Yeah. Too. When yeah. you least expect why, it. Why is that? Because I think we're we're wired for a lot of things. We're actually wired to um, say to work. Okay. So work's a good example. Work actually involves the the use of my body to to bring good things into the world, which is sometimes hard. So you know we don't always like work. <laughs> you know it doesn't always make us happy, but but we're more sort of overall satisfied when we're working productively than when we're not, you know. Mm, so, mm. so go figure, how does that work? <laughs> like if work doesn't make you happy directly and yet you're really, really kind of lost and despairing if you don't have work, well, you know, the pursuit
1: of happiness isn't, isn't all there is, you know, it's got to come to you indirectly. Mm. Now the English ethicist Jeremy Bentham claimed that the greatest happiness of the greatest number is the foundation of morals and legislation. So is this a satisfactory model of ethics? To be fair, on um, Bentham, he was uh, very keen to. I don't know if
0: you've seen. I only seen the miniseries. I'm not a very literary person, but Bleak House. That's a that's a very famous Dickens novel, which pictures. Doesn't uh, sound very happy. Yeah, no, it's, uh, <laughs> it's Bleak it's House. It's kind of it's kind of, uh, it's kind of awful, uh, as you might expect. Then one of the problems is um, that. It's pictured with this lawsuit going on with so many lawyers and so many judges and so many this and so many that that this inheritance just gets nibbled away to nothing. Because all the laws of the time are absurd, you know, they just make no sense. And Bentham said, "You the only basis for making a law or a policy is if it's going to sort of enhance the amount of, well, happiness that the populace can have. That was a shot at cutting through all of this self-interested mm. garbage that was going on to... Deliver better outcomes for the community, you know. So I kind of think that's really good, and we still try and do that, actually.
1: <laughs> so it's, it's a common way of thinking about public policy today. It is. Today. That's right. It is. Yeah. And
0: it's sort of, in a way, the only way we've got. So we spend a lot of time trying to determine what might deliver good outcomes to, for the most
1: bang for buck kind of thing, you know. Yeah. That's yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, but that's that's often how public policy is framed, though, isn't it? Yeah, in terms that's of right. benefiting yeah. the most number of people for the most. Yeah, and we are totally, totally indebted to.
0: Uh, Australia is actually a real outlier, though, I reckon, on this whole utilitarian approach to life. Uh, we just can't imagine running a community other than according to those principles, mm. and you know a lot of nations do. But where it's kind of our one and only way of doing business yeah. together.
1: So, is it satisfactory though? Satisfactory way of doing ethics?
0: I think if, if it's if it's got legs for as a, as a way into public pol- policy, I think. For the reasons that I touched on earlier, it's not really ultimately going to be the most satisfactory way of doing ethics, is it? Because you might need to pursue something that you know is right, but it's a drag to do it. You know, it's difficult to do it. It's hard to do it. So, um, I mean, you know, we've all experienced, I guess, how hard it is to do something like exercise <laughs> regularly. You know, mm-hmm. you, you, you you might know that's the right thing to do, but um, the pain and suffering that's involved <laughs> doesn't always leave you happy in the moment, does <laughs> it? You know, it's a bit like that with doing. Doing the right thing sometimes to sort of contain mm. myself, not just give myself what I love, to think about the the preciousness and the perspective of some other person and to, to do right by them isn't always going to make me happy in the short term. You mm. know, sometimes there is a bit of mini-suffering involved and that's actually okay. You know, There's nothing wrong with that. We're, we're a community that's so insanely averse to suffering that we can't even... Contemplate the thought of doing something that might have um, a little bit of suffering in it. You know? mm, mm. So that's the sort of flip side for, us, for modern Australians. We've mm. just become
1: paranoid
0: about this S word, you Yeah, know, why, do you think, why
1: do you think that's the case?
0: Oh, because I think people are just de-skilled in it. They're terrified of it. So people, people are so uh, in flight from all and every kind of suffering. And don't get me wrong, I'm not saying we should kind of Be <laughs> kind of bring it on, you know, yeah. but... Um, you know, it's going to happen. There's going to be bad things in life. And we, we've we just become sort of collectively terrified of these bad things. And mm. So this happiness talk is sort of the flip side of that.
1: I think. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I suppose that's, is that reflective though? Our culture's desire for happiness is connected to this avoidance of suffering? I believe so, yeah. I, I can't sort of prove it, but I've got this hunch just going on
0: lately that you know suffering is the ultimate evil to be avoided at all costs both personally and socially and everything we say do think and work on <laughs> you know so so i mean if that's you can contr- if that controls the field you're going to end up with a pretty odd set of thoughts about um, how to live it seems to me that other cultures have just taken in their stride that sometimes really tough things happen in our lives and they just they just care for each other through it and get on with it you know so we we find that a lot harder
1: mm. I think. So you mentioned the Bible sort of is a key part of the way you construct this ethical framework. So how do you think the Bible helps us think about happiness and the way to live? So um,
0: I guess some of what I said earlier about suffering is along these lines because it just doesn't it it, it doesn't just it doesn't start with happy. It doesn't start with suffering either. It actually, starts with a concept called blessedness, mm-hmm. which is um, which is in what you began with. What gets translated as happy.
1: Yeah. Uh, but I think it's a slightly bigger word than happy. Mm, because Well, there's a book of Psalms, which is an Old Testament yeah. book, uh, also has songs about happiness, though they're a bit different to Bobby McFerrin's or Pharrell Williams' songs. The first song, Psalm 1, starts with the words, Blessed is the one who does not walk in step with the wicked or stand in the way that sinners take or sit in the company of mockers, but whose delight is in the law of the Lord and who meditates on his Lord day and night. So this talks about this concept that you've just mentioned about blessedness. So how do, we, how do we understand that in terms of the biblical reflection on happiness? I reckon something people just actually don't know about the Bible is that literally the first word
0: God has pictured as saying to human beings is a word of blessing. He blessed them, it said. You know? yeah. So there's something about God's goodwill towards you know, everything that's playing into this. And that psalm that you mentioned is picking up on that. God's sort of dream, really, for humanity is this dream of blessing. And the psalm, I reckon, describes that distinction I was making earlier. The person who just does all the wicked stuff to get a good result in the moment to make them feel good, is not ultimately as blessed. Is not as. It, well, the psalm actually says it better than me. That 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 the person who's blessed is like a quiet tree beside still beside beside the water. Right. You know? Yeah. So that metaphor just nails it. Wouldn't you like to be that kind of being? You know. A tree that's just quietly beside the water has got something going for it that in a weird way that we, are, we kind of long for. You know, have that sense of centred, stable, calm, non-anxious existence is the stuff of blessing. And mm, mm. this kind of blessed person has that in a way that, you know, ultimately the, you know, wicked or whatever who's always looking
1: over their shoulder or whatever
0: mm. in the psalm hasn't.
1: Well, there are passages in the Bible which do talk about these dark passages. For example, Job 7.7, where the, Remember, O God, that my life is but a breath, my eyes will never see happiness again. Or in Psalm 88.18, where the author concludes by saying, Darkness is my my closest friend. So how do we understand those?
0: Well, firstly, I think you should just really like the honesty of it. These parts of the Bible are just immensely honest about how Horrible things sometimes are, but the 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 one move that they don't make, which I guess modern atheism makes, they'll never cross the line into saying, "Well, oh my non-existent God, I'm done with you." So they they hang in there and they go, "I'm still pretty sure that God's trustworthy out there somewhere, even though I kind of hate him at the moment because I don't feel it,"
1: <laughs> and they stick with it. Mm. Well, there's another question that's come in from our text line from our live audience, which actually asks, what are the differences between happiness and joy? And I suppose we could ask, and blessing. Uh, what are the differences? Are they the same type of thing? Happiness, joy, blessing? If I could sum up the sort of usages of these words that I've seen, ha- happiness is pretty immediate and in the
0: moment, I think, often. Mm-hmm. Joy is happy, but it's it's kind of longer running. It's longer term and it has sort of deeper roots, if you like. Mm-hmm. And blessedness is a word that, includes joy and includes some happiness but makes room for other stuff as well you can be blessed and sad blessed are those who mourn jesus said how the Mm. heck does that work in that culture that's just nuts Mm. but but jesus when jesus goes with blessed he's able to picture people who have that calm centered stability and hope and you know joy yet there's stuff that makes them deeply, deeply sad, you mm. know. And he's saying that's not your life hasn't gone wrong if that happens, you know. Mm. Sometimes mm. some mourning is about stuff that deserves to be mourned because it's awful, you know. Mm. So, But it doesn't mean you've stopped being blessed and it doesn't mean that you'll never see happiness again. Mm. And it doesn't mean... And sometimes even people who mourn have a bit of joy going on in the background, <laughs>
1: mm. Mm. <laughs> you know. Mm. Depending um, on so. the nature of the, yeah, of exactly. the mourning. That's yeah. right, yeah. It's like well, that, um, the next psalm or the next song in the, uh, in the Old Testament, uh, Psalm 2, gives perhaps a greater insight. It's a psalm which speaks about the special anointed one of the Lord God. It concludes in verses 11 and 12 and says, Serve the Lord with fear and celebrate his rule with trembling. Kiss his son or he will be angry and your way will lead to your destruction. For his wrath can flare up at any moment. Blessed are all who take refuge in him. So what's the significance of this? Do you remember how I said right at the beginning,
0: there's There's light and shade, isn't there? You mm-hmm. know if what I love goes out of my life, I experience grief. you know if what what I love is is threatened with you know some kind of destruction, I get angry to defend it. Mm-hmm. you know if who I love is threatened with destruction, I get angry to defend her. <laughs> you know that's what anger is at its best. Now, when God speaks of this person who's extremely precious to God, mm-hmm. the logic of what we just read is if 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 that person is is somehow threatened or menaced or put put down. God has a reaction to that. Yeah, it's a reaction of love. And what God wants is that you'll love what you'll love this person too.
1: Yeah. <laughs> so who's this? So, who's this person?
0: It's in, it's really interesting the way it plays out in the Bible because in, initially it's pictured as being this uh, anointed king of, of Israel. Yeah. Uh, and then the New Testament <clears> authors pick up pick it up and go, oh my gosh, they meant Jesus. You know, yeah. this was actually what this is the role that Jesus had with God. You know, and so. You know, in Christian thought, the straightforward way to blessing is to side with God on who He he values, which is, in the first instance, Jesus Christ. You know, and then there's a lot of blessing that is wrapped up in that kind of connection.
1: Mm. So, can we really find happiness though in in Jesus?
0: Yeah, I don't think you're not always going to find that that superficial, immediate happiness. You know, there's going to be times. You know, there there are there are clear times when um, folks who side with Christ are siding also with things that people are people next to them don't like you know and that creates some short-term static and problems and suffering but the really intriguing thing in the new testament is they'll talk about i keep mentioning this word suffering when they say suffering they've got it against this bigger canvas They'll go, look just stick with the suffering it'll be okay it's not the end it's not it's not everything you know there's more to there's more to it than this and you know if you endure through suffering you will actually find joy on the other side. Well, why? Because they've got this sort of security, like that tree beside the water. They've got this security in the God who made the world, Jesus Christ who came to you know represent God, and the connection that remains with God and Christ and you know the Holy Spirit, the Holy Trinity, mm-hmm. that um, far far and away eclipses the sufferings of the next five minutes or even ten years. You know, and this is why they, these Christians like to say that chap. That Blake Terry Waite who was locked up in Lebanon. Yeah. What, what Incomprehensible for people that he was able to come out of that prison and still be kind of joyful, you know. Well, because he was inhabiting that that bigger picture, you know. So, um,
1: so have you found blessedness or happiness in the Son of God?
0: Yes, and sometimes no. I mean, I'm just a normal human and sometimes I forget this stuff, you know. And I come from a bit of a sort of depressive background and sometimes even though I know lots of stuff about Christianity, I've... I, I kind of fall out of inhabiting it if that makes sense. The great thing is that God is doesn't give up on me, so that starts to give me joy again when I go, Oh great, even though I've kind of uh just lost the plot for a time in this or that patch of my life. I'm still loved, I'm still accepted and I start to get that sense of joy back because, mm-hmm. you know, um, there's somebody who's dependable even though I'm all over the place. <laughs> so mm-hmm. you know, my <laughs> emotional life is uh I guess like anybody's pretty pretty hard to pick with, from one day to the next you know yeah. there are days when so does, um, it,
1: does it make any difference to you though knowing the son of god
0: oh yeah i reckon it does yeah so and you know what's interesting to me about this is the Bible's actually got this variegation that i talk about i take a lot of hope in parts of the bible that talk about people feeling like they've been thrown down a well yep <laughs> with the with a <laughs> lid on top what i've found repeatedly is god's always been there that god's actually always in christ been waiting for me and been alongside me even when i wasn't sort of aware of that or whatever uh, and so that brings me back to joy so I think if you added up all that if you added up a cumulative average over my life definitely I think I'd be a lot less of a joyful slash happy person if I hadn't been a Christian but like you know there's huge peaks and troughs
1: mm, mm, mm. Um, <laughs> so Andrew where can I find happiness
0: start right where you're at and look for what's good just look for what you're already love that's already there and if Augustine is right being, knowledge and love, you're already loving things, you're already really engaged and invested in a lot of things that are next to you, just notice them again, Mm. you know. Maybe ask the question, how the heck did that get there? How did I become a being who loves what's good and how did all these good things come to be? Is that really seriously just a random accident that I'm wide like that and the world's wide like that? Could it possibly be that some amazing being has donated all of that to us, mm, you know. Mm, mm. And you found blessing in Jesus? Yeah, totally. And this is when Jesus says, blessed are those who mourn, that's weird. You'll, you'll start reading stuff about Jesus and you go, this, this person is, I don't know what to make of him. But it doesn't make me happy reading about Jesus because he's far more profoundly amazing than just someone who makes me happy. He's got, he's got this incredible breadth of his life that fills me with... Um, awe and he's really really smart and that just fills (laughs) me with amazement and he's he's um, unexpected which makes me nervous sometimes when i read it and um, he's bold and brave when he takes down these senior figures that are doing evil to people i mean there's just so much going on in jesus life that cannot be summed up under the word happiness doesn't make me happy to read jesus life It makes me fulfilled
1: you know Mm. let me leave you with the bible's reflection on the big question. Where can I find happiness? From Psalm 2, 11 and 12. Serve the Lord with fear and celebrate His rule with trembling. Kiss His Son. Blessed are all who take refuge in Him. I look forward to you joining us next time for Bigger Questions. Please thank our guest today, Dr. Andrew Cameron.
0: Enjoy Bigger Questions? You can help us keep asking them for as little as $1 a podcast. Support the show. Go to patreon.com biggerquestions.